That rumbling sound you're hearing is the sound of a volcano erupting. Understanding volcanic activity is key to understanding and protecting life on the Galapagos. For much of their history, the islands have been extremely isolated, thus becoming almost accidental and independent laboratories for the evolution of plant and animal life. Dr. Michael Stock is Assistant Professor in Geochemistry at the School of Natural Sciences in Trinity College Dublin, where Enin Ilana met with him recently. Now, the Galapagos weren't always there. They started off with volcanic activity. So could you give us a snapshot of, you know, first there were no Galapagos and then there were. I mean, presumably these volcanoes that you're talking about and will be talking about started the whole thing off in the first instance. Yeah, that's right. The Galapagos are like Iceland or Hawaii, what we, what we would call in geology, ocean island volcanoes. Uh, these things form through hot plumes of magma which are generated deep within the earth maybe close to the earth's core rising up and heating the earth's crust heating the base of the earth's crust and generating magma that rises up towards the surface you know about plate tectonics plates move across the surface of the earth uh, and as the plate moves across that plume of magma it generates a chain of islands so if you look at a map of hawaii you can see a nice chain of islands moving away from that plume of magma which we would call a, a, a hot spot and is it the same in the Galapagos? Is there a string of islands there now? And how old are they? Yeah, that's right. There are a string of islands in the Galapagos and they get older towards the east. In the east, they might be sort of a few tens of millions of years old. Uh, in the west of the Galapagos, the volcanoes are still extremely active, one of the most volcanically active places on Earth. Uh, and there would typically be an eruption in the western Galapagos every two to three years. So each island has different types of wildlife there because they were isolated from the next island and of course this is where Darwin, Charles Darwin in the 1800s observed all of the things that helped him to develop the theory of evolution. And you went off there to study volcanoes. Yeah that's right. The, the Galapagos Islands are probably around a thousand kilometres uh, west of the mainland Ecuador or mainland South America and the theory at the moment is that the islands existed, but of course they were volcanic. There wouldn't have been any animals there to begin with. Uh, there would have been periodic storms on the mainland, maybe in the mountains, uh, and they would have washed debris down the, down the rivers, just like you see on TV today, where there are big storm events in, in, in the UK or Ireland or wherever. These rafts of, of, of vegetation would have floated out to sea, and you know, every now and again, we're talking over thousands or millions of years, every now and again there might be an animal, an iguana or a tortoise stuck onto, the, onto that material that made its way over to Galapagos and was able to settle there. Of course, uh, as you say, the, one of the striking things about Galapagos, one of the reasons that it's so famous is because the biodiversity is, is, is remarkable. There are, I don't know how many, 10, 10 to 20 major islands in Galapagos. Uh, and each one of those islands has its own unique uh, flora and fauna. Uh, of course, birds and fish might be able to fly or, or swim between the different islands, but that is more of a problem for the land animals. Once they got there, once they got to the island maybe closest to Ecuador, how did they get further away so that they could diversify and, and form, form different species? Uh, and one of the theories uh, is that there were land bridges, so the volcanoes are continuously erupting and continuously eroding, 
maybe in the past lava flows formed these links between the different islands, allowed uh, terrestrial species to move between the islands, and those land bridges have subsequently been destroyed so we don't see them now. And this is sort of a major area of active research and a crossover between biology and geology is trying to identify these land bridges and trying to link that with gene genetic diversification. So not only have we different species then on different islands, but there is a biome up each volcano. The volcanoes are really high. We saw them when we went to Costa Rica to do that programme a long time ago, Derek, way back. But the whole idea that we have at the base, it's really, really desert and hot. And as you go up to the different levels, to the different biomes, and right up at the top where you get the clouds, where you get the water, you have you have tropical jungle, and of course then different creatures in each. And was that the same on the volcano that you went to visit, Alcedo? Yeah, that's exactly right. And that was one of the most striking things for me. I'm, I'm a geologist, as you said, and not a biologist, and so I'm aware of these things, but I wouldn't have seen it for my own eyes. Uh, and when I was there, I, we were just completely blown away by change in the species and change in the environment between the bottom and the top of the volcano that we were working on. So we landed by the coast uh, and it was extremely hot into the you know, 30, 30 degrees or so uh, and very dry, very arid, just lots of low level shrubs and bushes um, and not very much in the way of, of wildlife. A few iguana, of course, by the sea. In fact, on the volcano we were working with, there were penguins and, and, and mad sea creatures. Uh, but on the land itself, very, very sort of uh, devoid of life. But we hiked up to the top of the volcano and, and we hiked through these different biomes as we were gaining an elevation. At the top of the many of the Galapagos volcanoes, but including the one that we were working on, you get a phenomenon which is called the Garua, uh, which is a thick, dense layer of cloud that sits around the summit of, of the volcano and makes it extremely wet. You're in a, a sort of constant mist the whole time that you're, you're up there, uh, and that causes plants to form what is very much like a jungle, thick trees, uh, thick bushes and ferns, um, and very different wildlife. You were looking at the, the, the eruptions of this particular volcano. Surely an eruption is an eruption is an eruption. Up comes the stuff from, and comes down the side. And if you're in the way, you're burnt. If you're not, it cools down. But you, you were actually going to study a different sort of an eruption. How can there be two completely different types of eruptions with completely different impacts on the environment when they come out and cool down on it? Maybe you could tell us about this. And did you, were you there for an eruption? No, uh, fortunately or unfortunately, we were not there for an eruption. But so volcanoes produce fundamentally two different types of eruption. Uh, you can think, I'm sure many of your many of your listeners will have seen eruptions in Hawaii uh, in the last few years. These produce lava flows, which are these kind of streams of molten rock which move down the side down the side of a volcano, typically at, at, at approximately a jogging speed. If you were if you were in the way of a lava flow, it might cause damage to, to property or crops or the environment, which is very important in Galapagos. But but you yourself could could jog away from it. The other type of eruptions that, that we see on Earth are, are explosive eruptions. And some of your older listeners might remember Mount St. Helens back in the 80s. And that would produce a large plume of ash and pumice uh, right into the atmosphere, which would be, which would be deposited downwind over, over tens of kilometres. Most of the Galapagos volcanoes and, and almost every eruption in Galapagos is, is the former type, the Hawaiian type of lava flow. 
uh, and that causes damage to, to the local environment, but not much further afield. The volcano that we were working on, Alcedo, has produced the second type of eruption as well in its geological history. It's produced those explosive eruptions which would deposit ash over a huge, uh, over, over a huge area of the volcano. I mean, we would go to Alcedo to study these exceptional explosive eruptions because sometimes the, the exception is, is the case that proves the rule. By studying the, the volcano which produces different eruptions, perhaps we can understand what causes the transition between these two different types. And the impacts are extremely different. So lava flows might cause you know, localised damage to some of the vegetation at the top of the volcano, maybe you know, a few kilometres down the flanks of volcanoes and occasionally close to the sea. If there were an explosive eruption on Alcedo volcano, it would cause much wider spread damage to, to the veg vegetation uh, and the indigenous flora and fauna. So what exactly were you doing? Were you collecting samples of rocks? Were you taking photographs of, of lava flows? What were you physically doing in a, from a geology point of view before we move on to the biology end of things? But what were you doing? Yeah, I mean, it sounds mad to a lot of people as uh, you know the type of fieldwork that we do as geologists, but we literally were camping on the volcano, hiking around every day into the big crater at the top of the volcano with a geological hammer, knocking off lumps of rock that we can bring back here to Trinity and analyse in the lab. You saw lots of tortoises, no doubt. That's where the giant tortoises are on that volcano, right where you were camping. Yeah, we saw a whole range of amazing indigenous species. Everywhere you look in Galapagos, there's some different uh, amazing animal, and that's, of course, why, why, why it's famous. But Alcedo Volcano, where we were camping, is particularly famous for having the, the highest density of giant tortoise anywhere in the world, hiking around up there, camping up there. There were hundreds or thousands of these individuals and you just couldn't get away from them. Get out the tent in the morning and trip over a giant tortoise on your way to breakfast. And did you see any iguanas or anything like that up that height? So because of these different biomes, these different environments, there were no iguanas at the top of the volcano. We saw some evidence for them at the bottom. Uh, but in the other islands of Galapagos, of course, we had to take a boat to get here. So we were on a few different islands. You see land iguanas, which are, you know, maybe up to half a metre in size. And just walking around uh, the, some, of the, some of the settlements in Galapagos, you see marine iguanas everywhere. These big black lizards that jump into the sea and swim about. Which were the ones that had no melon in them were getting sunburned? Yeah, so that's another volcano in Galapagos. Next door, more or less, to the Alcedo volcano that we were working on, there's a unique species of, of, uh, of iguana called the pink iguana. That, that species only lives on the top of this volcano within a couple of square kilometres. Uh, and it's undergone a, a bizarre biological evolution where it's evolved out the pigment in its skin and developed a high amount of melanoma. So the number of individuals of this iguana are very low. Uh, scientists have only found a couple of juveniles. Seems like it's a species on the brink of extinction. And this is a great place sort of to mention the importance of volcanology because these iguanas only live on the top of a volcano, only within a couple of square kilometers. And this volcano is very active. So any eruption could cause huge damage to, to, to the population. Now, we know from bitter experience that many islands have had their fauna destroyed because of invasive species. Has this happened on the Galapagos as well? Are there invasive species there brought by humans? Uh, very sadly, yes. 
historically humans have taken invasive species to Galapagos, either deliberately people in the past would have taken goats and things over, or, or by accident rats and things coming over on boats that just bring food. But the Galapagos National Park and, and some of the, the Charles Darwin Foundation and other institutions that work there are now working very hard on different ecological schemes to try and reduce the numbers of invasive species and protect the indigenous fauna. Uh, in Alcedo itself, one of the big problems in the past has been goats. Um, there were huge numbers of invasive goats on the, on the flanks of the volcano, which were eating, eating the bushes, eating the trees. And these are the same bushes and trees that the tortoise rely on. So back in the 90s, there was a big cull uh, by the Galapagos National Park to reduce uh, and eradicate uh, the invasive goats and recover the population of tortoise. So you, of course, were there as a, a bona fide scientist and got to do this camping and going to the part of the island nobody else can go. But ordinary people, ordinary people who are not scientists but loads of money that can go there, how much would ordinary people get to see or would they get to see any of this nowadays? Yeah, so the majority of the Galapagos Islands is a, prote a protected UNESCO World Heritage Site. However, there are four settlements in Galapagos which are within the park but but not they don't have the same protected status as a tourist anybody traveling around south america can fly over to galapagos and visit these settlements themselves and there are a whole load of species that you would be able to see just in the town the, the marine iguana for example you just have to get sprayed with insecticide as your plane lands on the main airport after that as a tourist if you want to see the more exotic parts of the island more of the indigenous species you have to go on a, a boat tour uh, these take you around approved routes and you can get off in a few uh, approved sites with a certified guide and that allows you, you know, tourists to see some of the amazing, uh, the amazing creatures that live there. What was the best thing you saw, whether it was rocks or wildlife or a rat in your water barrel, what was the thing that impressed you most? I mean, as a geologist, I feel like I should say the most impressive thing was the rocks. But in Galapagos, you just cannot escape the amazing biology. Uh, and I think the fav my favourite creature that I saw was probably the penguins. It's kind of mad to be on the equator uh, in a hot environment and see these little penguins swimming around in the water. I wish I were there. Talk about, you know, wish you were here. But anyway, thank you very much, Mike, for talking to me and painting such a wonderful picture of life on the Galapagos. Thank you, Aina. It was lovely to talk to you and get to share this experience with your listeners. Thank you, Mike. And 